Hi, my name is Isabella Johnston, the Intern Whisperer. Our show is brought to you by Employers for Change, and today's tip of the week is about overconfidence bias. This refers to a person's tendency to be more confident in their capabilities than they should be. Overconfidence bias may not lead to the kinds of hiring and recruiting issues other biases cause, but it can create conflict within an organization and cause a company to not live up to its potential. When overconfidence bias is allowed to flow freely, companies or employees with this bias do not believe they need to make improvements, thus affecting their own growth as well as the company's growth. So how can you avoid overconfidence bias? One way is to continue your work on affinity bias and hire a diverse team that doesn't fall into group think traps. It will be more difficult for overconfidence to take over if you foster a diverse and challenging environment. The following ideas enable businesses to cultivate more welcoming workplaces that a wider range of candidates will want to join. So welcome to the Intern Whisperer. Our show is all about the future of work and innovation. This week's guest on the Interim Whisperer is Zach Webster. He is an experienced professional with a demonstrated history of working in the sports industry. Go Orlando Magic. That's the only shout out I'm giving. He is skilled in marketing strategy, business data analytics, design thinking methodology. And that comes in pretty handy because how I met him was at a startup weekend mm-hmm. when we were down there for something for the team that we shall not mention. Um, he is a he is skilled in team leadership, facilitation, and utilizing hard and soft skills in every business situation. He's highly engaged with the entrepreneur and startup community. And that's how, again, I got to work with him for Startup Weekend again this weekend. And so I want to welcome you to my show, The Intern Whisperer. Thank you for having me. This yeah. is very exciting. Thank you. I think it is too, because I get to be with you this time. So yeah. Um, the reason why it's called that is because everybody in life is an intern and we're constantly learning. Okay. Should should we whisper the whole time? Mm, I don't think we have to. Okay, okay. All right. So I kick off the show with five words. I'm going to ask you what five words describe you and why those five words. And we did discuss it. So extroverted, mm-hmm. go. Why? Extroverted is, is the easiest one. Yeah. It is solely because I thrive off of the energy of others. Mm-hmm. I am genuinely a person that if you put me in a room by myself, I will be miserable. Oh. You know, I joke all the time. I say, if you put me in there for too long, I'll start listening to the voices, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but in reality, it's just that other people give me energy and I don't think that I'm the type of person that can truly function on a topic by myself. Mm-hmm. I'm best when I'm with others and able to bounce off crazy ideas with everybody around me. So- COVID when it hit had to be hard because I felt like I'm like you, I was locked in prison. Mm -hmm. It was horrible. So COVID was specifically difficult for me uh, because I was actually right at the end of my college career, living in an apartment all by myself. No fun. Uh, And you will probably hear it at some point during this, that on that journey, I was in college for way too long. Mm -hmm. So at a certain point, everybody started moving away. Everybody started growing up in essence and and leaving. Mm -hmm. So I was finally on my own, super excited. And then I was way too on my own. Uh, So it was pretty tough, but I found a good group of people playing a sport that I love and uh, got myself through it, basically. Yeah, that's a good thing. Mm -hmm. What was your sport? Um, I enjoy taking part in, I will say, volleyball. I'm not going to call myself a volleyball player Uh, uh, because the people that I found are way too good for me to ever Uh, play with them. Um, but I love being around it and, and taking it in. Do you go to that um, place that's over there by the Colonial Mall area? I do not. Uh, the friends that I have found uh, are really involved with UCF itself. So a lot of the stuff happens on campus. Oh, okay. Um, or they actually have their own private uh, beach courts that they like to play on. Oh, those are serious people. Yeah, they're way too serious. Yeah. I tell them all the time. Yeah. Empathetic. Why empathetic? I'm really empathetic uh, because my story growing up, I often say I grew up in three different countries, basically, uh, learning three different economic systems and uh, really 
trying to put together an understanding of the world that was completely different from most people who have kind of just this one experience going through life. Okay. What were those countries? You can't say that and then not explain. Yeah. So I was born in Kingston, Jamaica. Okay. Um, I was not there for very long, but I ultimately took on a lot of the cultural aspects, obviously coming to America as an, as a Can you slide into that. Uh, the dialect, no, yeah. the, the rules of the Jamaican dialect are that you are only Jamaican when you're around other Jamaicans and speaking okay. Patois or when you are extremely angry. And I don't think there's anything you can do to make me mad. No, not right now. <laughs> Maybe some other time. I, I, you gave me that as a challenge. So I might try that now that I know that that's like <laughs> a secret power to release. Okay. You could be like the Hulk. Mm -hmm. um, so United States is the second one. Yes. Um, and then I spent uh, some time in Toronto, Canada. Hmm. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Everybody seems to go there. I haven't ever been there. Hmm. It's a beautiful place. Uh, the food it looks is gorgeous. And the people are great. Yeah. So when we're coming back to this whole empathetic, though, because mm -hmm. I got sidetracked because of the five, the three countries, explain that empathetic side again. So, yeah, basically because of me growing up in three different scenarios, right? Not just the three countries, but also three different socioeconomic situations, right? In Jamaica, we were very wealthy. When we came to America, there were points where I remember eating soy sauce and, and white rice for dinner wow. at times. Uh, to When I started getting older and going to college and my parents came back, got back together, uh, ultimately we would be in what would be the middle class, which I think we would still classify as being in. Mm. Gotcha. How'd you end up in Canada then? Uh, so leaving Jamaica, my parents at some point split. I've never asked the specific details on mm -hmm. their end, right? Uh, don't ask questions and that I don't want the answers to, right? Yeah. Um, but ultimately, my father moved to Toronto with his mother and my mother moved to Miami with her mother. Mm. Um, both of them left the grandfathers behind in Jamaica which is an interesting scenario. It is. Um, my father ended up becoming a Canadian citizen at some point along that storyline, moving back down to the States. Uh, and then I try to track it down all the time in my mind, but sometime around the middle school to, to high school transition, my parents ended up coming back together after they separated. Mm -hmm. hmm. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Okay. So your next word was integrity. Why that one? That's that's a good word. That's a really powerful word. Yeah. I asked a bunch of my friends to give me some examples. And a lot of them said loyalty was a big aspect of me. Um, mm -hmm. But it's funny. Loyalty is a word that I kind of despise. I have never really believed in it. And I don't think that it is inherently a good thing for the world that we live in. Uh, I would rather be true to the integrity that the people around me have than to be loyal to their whims of uh, morality, which sounds way more dramatic than it really is. Hmm. I'm thinking you must have been harmed as a child. Somebody hurt you deeply. And no, I, I just I have people in my life that that look at me and I've I'm not going to call myself an absolute success. Right. But I'm doing something. Oh, yeah. That is net positive in other mm -hmm. people's lives. Mm -hmm. um, and it comes it, it pretty often comes down to, hey, what about me? You guys forgot your Zach. You forgot about me. And I don't see that as a very fair thing because it shouldn't be a score that you keep. Yeah. Right. Like yeah. I don't need to be loyal to you. And I think that especially in the news and a lot of different movements that you see in the world now, loyalty can get people in a lot of trouble, right? Yeah. Feeding into the thing that they want to do for the sake of it being the thing that they want to do mm -hmm. uh, is not great. I'd rather support you and understand you and the morals that you choose to live by and the rules that you've created for yourself and give you advice based off of staying true to that. Mm, that's good. That's fair. So your next one was dynamic. I say dynamic because, again, I've lived a couple of different lives. Uh, but even beyond that, going into college, I've had to pivot a lot. I believe mm -hmm. in the power of the pivot so much. Mm -hmm. Even at Startup Weekend, uh, when we are helping out people trying to start their own individual businesses, mm -hmm. I look at all of them and I say, hey, you've fallen in love with this idea with this concept, mm -hmm. but the thing that it's going to be in 10 years and the person that you are in 10 mm -hmm. years are not going to be the same thing. Mm -mm. So I'm a big believer in being a different person than you were yesterday in even small increments that add up to something greater. Mm. I like that one too. All right. Your next one is lucky. I am lucky, grateful, appreciative. Any of those words could have gone in my last slot. Uh, I am a big believer in the fact that you are 
the sum of all of the impulses and the people that you've surrounded yourself with in life. Uh, and I, in my mind, feel very lucky and appreciative that I found such a great set of people to build me to what I am today. Yeah, that's very true, too. Um, we are always because collective family, like mm -hmm. you said earlier, you get to pick your family. And I feel like, yeah, we're always picking the best of what those people are or things that we admire about them. I know I had that discussion with my mom and dad. My mom died of cancer. And before she died, I know I had this conversation with both my parents and they're not together. They said, I am the best of you and everything that I love, but I am also know that I am the things that I find challenging in you. So I've learned how to take all of those things and um, manage them. Mm -hmm. So that I understand, you know, how you made decisions and you taught me to be resilient. You taught me to be strong. You taught me to be resourceful. So, you know, I just wanted to thank them for that. It was like a boohoo fest, yeah. you know, everybody's like yeah. crying, me, them, you know, but it was good. And I got to say stuff that I really wanted to say. Mm -hmm. And it's often some of the hardest things to say, right? It is. And even for me, some of the hardest things to hear. Right? Mm -hmm. I don't take praise well. So as long as you can give as much as you can, I am such a big supporter of it. And I love the fact yeah. that you got to go through that. Yeah, it was hard. Okay, so where'd you go to school and how'd you get to where you are? You can take us on that journey okay. and let us know. This is a long, drawn out journey. Okay, um, well, we only have, you know, like an hour. So yeah, I'll give you I'll give you the best version of <laughs> okay. it, a short one. Um, basically, in 2014, I started at UCF, Go Knights. Um, mm -hmm. I was, as a first-generation immigrant, succumbing to that ideology of you got to go to school to be a doctor or an engineer. Mm -hmm. So I started by declaring my major as mechanical engineering hmm. and successfully failed at that for about four years. Um, I got pretty close to making that a real thing and ultimately decided I was miserable. Mm -hmm. um, so I believe it was 2017. Mm -hmm. uh, in this timeline of my life that I had to come, I ha have to have that reckoning, mm -hmm. um, with my family and my mother and look at her in the face and say, Hey, we've wasted a lot of money. Let's waste some more. Um, oh, yeah. and I switched to business as everybody does. It's, it's unfortunately kind of the throwaway thing that when you don't really know what you want to do, you kind of just go to, but that. doesn't it make the most sense? Absolutely. It is the most dynamic thing. Yeah, I was an English major, but I sit here and I go, everybody should take, when I started teaching in, in college, I said, everybody needs to take accounting, finance, mm -hmm. marketing, management. You, you got to take the basics because you're either going to want to start a business, mm -hmm. you're going to want to manage a department, you're either going to go Sorry. up, you're going to go across, but you you all need to know those things. Everybody should. It should be the required electives. Absolutely. Yeah. Because it doesn't matter what your dream is. You got to make money doing it. Mm -hmm. And business will help you understand that. Obviously, there's some things where you need some different knowledge sets. I don't want my surgeon to have mm -hmm. gone to business school solely, right? They're uh, horrible in business, by the way. They need to. Yeah, they're, they're they can be <laughs> stubborn at times. Yeah. You know? uh, but they're great at the other thing that we need. Oh, gosh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So what did you choose in business? Business is pretty broad. I mean, it could have been the business administration, but did you have a specialty? So I know. Great thing about marketing. UCF is that they have an integrated business. Oh, integrated. Um, I love that one. Yeah. Which is basically you figuring out how to leverage technology into uh, business decisions in the future. So kind of like having the ability to have your own independent study mm -hmm. with specializing in whatever you want it to be. Yeah. So yeah. what did you choose? So technology? I chose absolutely nothing, right? Okay. I actually took that time to excel at the business portion, right? Mm -hmm. Not specifying anything. And I think that's going to be the biggest thing about my story is that I am the biggest generalist in the world, right? I specialize in generalism, but ultimately I picked up the minor of a sports business management minor. Best thing you ever did. Uh, best thing that I have ever did in my life. hundred yeah. percent. Yeah. Um, that is not something that I followed through all the way to the end, but I met some people along the way that really changed my life and in, to be quite frank, saved my life at, at one point. Mm. His name's Jim. He runs the fitness center out there. Mm -hmm. Do you know who I'm talking about? No, I do not. Ooh, I'm going to go look for his name while we're talking, but that 
everybody that works down there at the UCF Fitness Center with mm-hmm. the rock climbing gym and everything, he invited me to come and take a tour. I was so impressed. There's 2,500 students that they employ to mm-hmm. run that whole thing. That is so many students from the ropes course to the tents that you can check out, mm-hmm. to the kayaks, to running, you know, whatever the class is. Yep. There was just so much. It was amazing. And a lot of people in my program were involved with that at some point. Yeah. They had, um, I remember he showed me they have a place where, you know, if you got hurt, they have therapists in there mm-hmm. too. It was just, it was incredible. But nonetheless, you finally graduated. Yep. You were on the five-year plan, I guess. Uh, it ultimately amounted to about seven years. Whoa, mm-hmm. you were, you have really good parents. Yeah, <laughs> they planned well. Yeah, let's, let's put it that way. Yeah, yeah, um, they wanted to support you too. Oh, absolutely. I, I they would go to the end of the earth, and I am so grateful for that. Yeah. Uh, but ultimately, uh, from there, meeting a couple of people, I started working in essence for free. They called it volunteering, but from the work that I was doing, it, mm-hmm. a, a lot of it was was real meaningful work, which I'm really appreciative of. Um, James Wilkinson. Joe James Wilkinson. James W I L K E N I N G. I would definitely Wilkinson. You should, because you know that's going to be like you could decide you want to go and do that too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, 100%. keep going. Um. So from there, I started kind of picking up these little odd jobs, whether it was working a surfing competition, uh, helping to put on a marathon or a five k here in Central Florida. Uh, and started building up the trust of the mentorship of Scott Buckstein there at uh, the minor that's major um, and working alongside him. And eventually I built up trust with him to the point where he said, hey, do you want to work a Super Bowl? No way. Yeah. Um, So that was kind of one of the first big things that I ended up doing. Uh, Actually, the first Super Bowl he told me to go to, I had to say no because I had a finals exam that first day. I would have blown that off. (laughs) <laughs> I wish I could, but it was early no, semester and I was terrified of of being a bad student, Yeah, uh, which kind of means nothing now that I think about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but ultimately I said no to that and mm-hmm. I missed out on basically all of the people who did that ended up in some amazing seats watching the game at some point, which never happens for volunteers. So don't take no. that as like the thing that is going to happen, but it drove me because I felt like I missed something amazing that wow. FOMO really got. So the next time he said uh, that a Super Bowl was coming, I had to say yes. It was originally supposed to be in Vegas, but yeah. the Vegas um, arena wasn't going to be built in time. So they transitioned it to Tampa Bay, Florida. I was going to say, have we had a Super Bowl here in Orlando? No, definitely not here. So where did you, where did, was the first one that you missed? So the first one was in Miami, Florida, and that was oh. where it was originally planned to be. Um, and it was amazing. Uh, everybody that went to it says amazing things about yeah. it. So I grew that FOMO so badly that mm. I had to be at the next one when it showed up on a whim, basically. Mm-hmm. With I think it was literally an eight-month notice. Yeah. Um. So I ended up getting involved there and became really involved, became a community ambassador for that Super Bowl committee and went on to leverage that into making a little bit more moves and internships within the sports community within Central Florida and ultimately my job here with the Orlando Magic, which... So- I remember when you and I sat down, I talked about internships and how to get Orlando Magic. You know, Mm -hmm. I'm going, I want to go and talk about this. And you gave me like straight information. But who did you know (laughs) that was there? That's the crazy thing. I didn't really think that I knew anybody, right? From the experience that I had built working for free for so long, I had basically already had three-ish years of experience in sports business management. So when they saw the fact that I was a GA, and this is all an assumption, right? I've never asked, Mm -hmm. but I think that's really what at least put me on the radar. GA, explain. Uh, Graduate associate. Okay. Mm -hmm. For our listeners. Yeah. We don't have interns. Mm -hmm. We have graduate associates uh, because from my understanding, the current rule is that to be a part of it, you have to have graduated uh, from your undergrad. Okay. So we have graduate associates. They are paid. Uh, It's actually, it was pretty great gig for me. Mm -hmm. Um, But ultimately what I believe happened is that when I had applied, I had a little bit of a or strong enough background to at least get a second look. Mm-hmm. And then my current boss, Andrew Beckemeyer, mm-hmm. uh, realized in my LinkedIn that I had an endorsement from someone who was my superior when I was working with UCF Athletics. Mm-hmm. She, Her name is Michelle Stenger. She is an amazing woman, um, a great mentor to me. And ultimately, Michelle Stenger is on the same team as me, the same business strategy team as, that I am now. 
-hmm. So his ability to just go a desk over and say, hey, Michelle, who is this person uh, is what got me through that door. So working in the office was a good thing in this instance. Yes. Not remote work. Uh, actually, technically, the, it was remote work. Oh, so, really? Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Right place. It's who knows you and who do you know? Yeah. Both. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, one of the biggest things told to me, and because you're the intern in Worcester, I'm sure you'd love for me to give this advice out there. Um, whenever somebody looks at your resume and they see all the people that you recommend as uh, contacts, they completely ignore that. And they just look at the things that you did before right. and try to see if they know anybody who is there to have seen you. Mm -hmm. Because if you can be remembered, that's all that matters. That is true. Yeah. Yeah. So being an extroverted person, you know, we're very friendly and we're bubbly mm -hmm. and we'll always be talking with people. That's memorable. Being the introverted person, you have to get out of that zone and just make sure that somebody goes, okay, what was your name? Yep. You know, what is it that you just said? I like that. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't mean you have to talk a lot. You just need to talk. Yeah. And the best trick that you can do is walk up to a person that you want to be one day and just say, hey, I'm so interested in your job and how you got here. But first, could you tell me the thing you hate the most about it? Oh, that's a good question. And then yeah. when they tell you what it is, you say, how can I do that for you? That's a really good strategy. Because that is the core of adding value, right? You can take away something that they don't value doing. And then you, you in essence, are a valuable asset to them. Mm -hmm. And on top of that, Right. Mm -hmm. When you are trying to find yourself in those early stages of your career, it's more important to figure out what you don't like than what you do. Mm -hmm. So if you want to be that person and be in their position, you need to see the thing that they hate the most. And if you can find a way to love it, then that's the job for you. You know, it's really funny. I at one point in time, I worked for um, the Nature Conservancy mm -hmm. and I had just gotten my MBA. I had zero experience. I was an English major. This was to be a grants administrator and a financial analyst. Five people all in the room and one was by phone and they're all asking me questions. And so the last question is, you have no finance experience. Why should we hire you? And I said, I had to work really hard in those classes. Mm -hmm. um, I believe I'll be able to be an interpreter for your people out in the field that will struggle with that. They told me that was the reason I got the job mm -hmm. was zero experience. Yeah. So to your point of like you offered to go and do the thing that somebody doesn't like to do. Mm -hmm. That's everything. 100%. Makes you memorable. I love that. That yeah. is a really good example. So yes, that's for anybody that's even not just getting out of school. That just is like yes, brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I love all of this stuff. Now you're over here at the Orlando Magic. You're obviously the um, innovation specialist. Yes. How did you land that gig? So that was a direct byproduct of my time with them. Mm. Um, I had applied for another position, right? It, it, in a way, it was a bit of a mad scramble to figure out how to get a job, right? You, mm -hmm. You're kind of on a ticking time bomb when you're a GA. You only have a one-year contract and, mm -hmm. and it is do your best and contribute to where you can. But in the sports business world, it's a very niche place. There's yeah. only 30 teams in the NBA. Uh, there's 32 teams yeah. in the NFL and so on. So there's a lot of people who grew up wanting to be athletes. And then when they realized that that wasn't on the table, the next best thing was to work in sports, mm -hmm. right? Uh, so you're competing with a lot of people that want to do your job already. Mm -hmm. So for me, it was a situation where I was kind of nervous that there wouldn't be a place for me at the end of it, solely because you need somebody to either move up or move or retire that's in front right. of you. Um, in my case, I was really, really lucky that somebody saw what I brought to the table and I always found a way to add value to the people around me that they decided to create a position for me. Wow. That's, mm -hmm. that's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. So being an innovation specialist, uh, what, what is that job description yeah. like? So this is one of my favorite questions solely because I think I answer it differently every single time. Mm. Uh, but in essence, I work on developing our business kind of in a two-pronged way, right? From the bottom up where I'm working on facilitating thought and creative solutions to uh, business challenges that have been identified, whether that is by uh, a manager or a intern or a GA. Mm -hmm. um, anybody who comes up with a crazy idea, like let's put our mascot stuff on the moon, right? I help them figure out how to get there by putting together cross-functional teams 
of people that are going to come together and say, okay, if we're going to put them on the moon, we're going to need this, 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 and this. Mm-hmm. And then we're going to have to put it, put a broadcast on it. So people care about it and advertise that broadcast, whatever, mm-hmm. whatever the A to B situation is. Because you said take something to the moon. Have you guys ever put anything onto one of the rockets that went into space? I don't think that we have, no. Okay, there's the challenge. Just mm-hmm. start there. It doesn't yeah. even have to go up into the moon, but just like maybe they wear a magic shirt or something like that. Exactly. So it would be yeah. something as simple as that, right? Whether it that, I would see that as a marketing campaign, right? We can help mm-hmm. develop a marketing campaign down to an actual ticketing product, theoretically, yeah. right? Um, the other prong, right? The other part of the pincer movement of innovation mm-hmm. that I kind of say sometimes uh, is the top-down approach, right? Mm-hmm. We have recently started working with our senior leadership to put together kind of these initiatives that we see as these three to five year timelines. Mm -hmm. Right. And then the magic is of the innovation is where you meet in the middle, Mm. right. Through me and my team, primarily focusing on facilitating the thought of others. Right. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to pretend to be a thought leader, although I'll be advertised as one at times. Oh yeah. um, I think you are on anything specific though. That's but okay. I can always find the right people to put together a team to, mm-hmm. to get us to that point. So that kind of becomes the the superpower skill that you have is you put yeah. the teams together. 100%. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. All right. So now that you're in this role, is there a director of innovation? Is that like a an upward path that somebody can do inside? So I report directly to our um uh, assistant director of innovation, Andrew Beckemeyer. I referenced him. Yeah, I remember him. Amazing, amazing yeah. person. Big beard, bigger yeah, person. Yeah, I remember. Yeah. Yeah, I love him to death. Um, and then he reports directly to our senior vice president of strategy and innovation. I think he was there at that that hackathon that we did. What was his name? Um, Jay Riola. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's all sounding kind of familiar now. Mm-hmm. That was so much fun to be able to go down there and definitely do that. So. Everybody should be involved with Startup Weekend because you never know where you can mm-hmm. end up in some really cool places. Absolutely. So what do you see yourself doing as you continue to go, you know, into this space? I, I You really love mm-hmm. the startup stuff. I do. I love the startup world. Um, and it, it's actually kind of funny because uh, I think it was Rachel, uh, mm-hmm. the three-time winner. Yes. Uh, all-time mermaid. Yes. Um, that looked at me and asked me what I wanted to do this weekend. And I kind of said, I don't think that I'd ever start something. Mm-hmm. I think that I'm a facilitator. I help people get there. I don't, you know what you could be. You could myself. be like Jack. Absolutely. Jack was actually the person that founded the uh, innovation program at, at um, the Orlando magic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I did not know that, mm-hmm. but uh, that makes sense because I know he used to work there. So I did not know he's yes. the one that founded it. Yeah. He's really, really nice. Yeah. He's he's a great person. Yeah, he's really good at you know doing what he does there. So, how many people did? And you may not know this. How many people work at the Orlando Magic? Counting the players, let's count the players too. Well, that's actually the easy part. There's only I believe 15 of them that can be. Oh, really? At the time, yeah. So it's not a super big roster, um, but I think we are one of the larger staffed teams. I think we have like 300 something employees. That's crazy. Yeah. Wow. But. I don't know what the mix of those are, right? Some could be part-time. Some could be literally just game security staff. I don't yeah. actually know. Could be the vendors at the food station. Exactly. Right? I don't yeah. know the exact number of, of active full-time staff. Hmm. That's a lot of people. All right. What is the favorite quote that you live by? Ooh, and I like this one. Oh, hold on. I need to Yeah, you're going to go notes. pull it up. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, so this is not a quote itself. Um, I'm going to quote a person that meant a lot to me, right? Sure. And um, his name is Pat Williams. He is one of the co-founders of the Orlando Magic. Uh, I met him working one of my volunteer uh, opportunities while I was a student at UCF. Actually, my first volunteer opportunity. Mm -hmm. So when I was lost and confused, this was the first thing I did. And I ended up meeting this amazing person. Yes. Um, And this was probably the third sentence he said to me. This is very early on in my conversation with him. Uh, but he said that you are only five books away from being a world leader on any topic, and you are only five questions away from a solution to any challenge that you have. Hmm. I like that. Yeah, that absolutely blew my mind. It It's deep. And I don't mm-hmm. think that, I mean, he's really an amazing man. And I'm going to 
uh, say some things that I know that we talked about earlier. He he wrote a book about man in the mirror. He's a very, very spiritual man. He's a mm-hmm. Christian. And his walk and his talk always seem to, you know, match. So he's inspiring, truly inspiring. Yeah. Yeah. So um, when he created the magic, I don't know. I just sit here and I think that's a... A really big legacy. Who else was a part of that? Do you know the history of it? I'm not sure. I'm putting you on the spot on yeah, some things I didn't definitely know. are. I don't have a lot of knowledge of the history of, of things here with the magic. Yeah. Um, it's something that I really want to learn a lot more about. Uh, but as I've grown into this role, it's it's been a lot of what's the future look like. Yeah. Um, so I don't really know a lot of, uh, about that, but I know that he was really big on getting people to the team. I kind of know the strategy that he used towards building or getting a team to be expanded into Orlando. Uh, beyond that, I don't really know much. Mm, yeah. Well, he, I would definitely consider him a futurist because he, he created a team out of a something that we didn't even have before here in Orlando. And I can't even remember. I think I went to baseball games, you know, we had baseball, but I don't think, you know, we had anything. And I know you had asked me a question over the weekend about the magic. And I don't think I finished this. I would get to go. um, I had a client um, with somebody else and they gave me tickets and I got to sit on the floor Mm. and I could literally reach across and touch a player. I could literally reach across and tuck, touch one of the cheerleaders. It was like that close. Mm-hmm. And the ball, you could have it coming right at your face. It was yep. it was as close as you could possibly imagine being on there. I don't know how much those tickets cost, but that was one of the most exciting things that yeah. I have ever done. We strive to create legendary moments like that. Yeah. It was it was truly so memorable. You could smell the sweat, <laughs> like it was like that close. Anyway, um, I don't know if that was one of his ideas too, but he is somebody that I think a, a person is really lucky to know. Hundred percent, yeah. And he came to me. Right? Is he and still on the board? Does he contribute? He's he's not active anymore. Okay. Um, from my understanding, literally the year before I started with the magic. He kind of took a more away from the team role. Mm. Uh, but even from that first time that I met him, he was out in the community talking about mental health in, in professional sports. And halfway through this panel of people, which had Olympians and amazing individuals on it, he gets up halfway through and he says, sorry, guys, I got to go. We got a game. Right? Oh, wow. So he was very, very in- involved up to at least three years ago, from my understanding. Wow. Yeah. Okay. What is the hardest lesson that you learned that changed your life? (laughs) So the hardest lesson that I've ever learned is how to add value to people's lives without keeping score. That's again, that's another deep one. Yeah. Now that's you. That's original. It sounds like it's original. There might be stuff on it out there. Right. But that's just how I describe it. Yeah. Um, I've always seen it as if you keep score in something, Mm -hmm. somebody has to win and somebody has to lose. Yeah. And life inherently doesn't have to be a competition. Mm-mm. Right. Um, but I always give this really deep metaphor. Right. Which I will say that this is a, a Webster original. Um, I like to say that life is like a teacup. Mm-hmm. Right. To be a good teacup, you only have to do two things. You have to take in water and you have to let out water. Mm-hmm. But the problem is teacups are finite. It can only hold so much at one time, Mm -hmm. just like the human experience, just like the human mind. Mm -hmm. I think there's a statistic out there somewhere that I saw, right? Please fact check me on this. But I think the human can, the human mind can only remember like 150 meaningful names at a time, Hmm. something like that. Um, But that kind of struck me one day and made me think, I need to go and take all of these amazing lessons that I have in life and teach them to other people. Did you find it? I don't know, but I searched as how much can the human mind remember? It says 2.5 million gigabytes. Well, that's a lot of gigabytes. Yeah. But I can promise you this. I have learned more lessons in life than 2.5 million gigabytes. Yeah. So that means that I have lost a lot. Mm -hmm. And I know at some point in my life, I will have forgotten more than I can actively hold at any one time. Yeah. It says a single human brain can have, uh, has many different kinds of memories, but there's it's actually going counter, but there's no physical limit to the number of memories we can store. But what you're saying makes most sense to me mm-hmm. because when I have these conversations with my dad, um, and I talk with my dad pretty regularly, 
And he'll go, well, do you remember this and this and this? I said, dad, I, I don't know. Where was I? Why? Like, why do I not remember these things that you're bringing up? Mm -hmm. And I'll tell him the things I remember. He goes, I don't remember that. And I went, yeah. okay. So it's perspective maybe more. But that's also my perfect, the, the perfect example, right? right? Because if I can't hold all of the lessons that I've ever had, right. and I'm going to forget more lessons than I probably will learn for the rest of my life at some point, I need to have poured that learning and those moments into other people as much as I can so that when I need that information in the future, when I need help, and, and this is beyond information, right? This could be when I need support emotionally, financially, whatever mm -hmm. it is, I'll have other people around me that are not obligated to because I gave that away for free, mm -hmm. but are willing to give a little bit back in the moment that I need the most. Mm -hmm. And that's to me what it means to be a good teacup. Mm. Yeah. Um, I think it's very similar to something I've seen this on, I think it was YouTube, where the professor brought in this big container. Mm -hmm. They put balls in there, it was sand, it was all kinds oh, of stuff yes, and I've water. And it's like, how much do you think can actually fit in this? And I'm really, really not doing it justice in the, the video. But there's always so much more yeah. that you can put inside of something that you just didn't even think about. Mm -hmm. So maybe that's how it is with the brain, is the brain is holding things. Mm -hmm. But we won't remember them until we have some kind of an experience. It could yeah. be a smell. Mm -hmm. It could be like cookies, right? And you go back, whoa, that Absolutely. was Christmas that day. But you don't remember it until something else triggers it. 100%. Think about it in your normal life, how many yeah. times you're sitting there trying to think of someone and you look at someone and you're like, do you remember this thing? And you generally describe it. I, yeah. And that person up. helped you. Yeah. Right? I think I see the world very similarly. And I think that that's why that quote matters a lot to me. Mm, I would agree with you. Um, what are you most grateful for? So I'm most grateful for my family. Um, but does that mean your mom and dad, or does it include grandparents or the chosen family? Yes. So to me, it's the chosen family. Okay. I've always believed in the family that you choose. Um, I can say that I come from a lineage, right. Of people that some, some people in my family, I don't have any positive memories with or mm -hmm. of. So I really love my mom and my dad and and because of the way that we grew up um, because of the situation uh, being raised in a split household um, originally, right? Ultimately, right. they came back together. I didn't see them as two people I was obligated to be, to, to be loved by or to love. I became friends with them. Mm. To this day, they're my best friends, right? That is always what happens when we grow up as an adult. We should become more of a peer kind of appear with your parent yeah. instead of it always being seen as a child yeah. or like my baby. Please. To me, they were just my first two mentors. Yeah. You know? Um, but because of that in my life, I can love people that are my friends that are my peers and my equals as much as I love my parents. Mm -hmm. And to me, I see that as family mm -hmm. in the Jamaican culture. Everybody in on the Island is an uncle or an aunt. <laughs> everybody's a niece or a nephew. And I very much similarly feel that I subscribe to that mentality. Mm -hmm. This is, uh, I have a question, but I'm going to hold it mm -hmm. until we get to the end because, you know, Jamaican. Who in your life has had the biggest impact and why? So um, impact wise, I would say that Scott Buckstein um, was a big, big influence for me. He was my sports intro to sports business management professor at UCF. Um, and I, I alluded to it before, but that was a very confusing time for me. Mm -hmm. um, and ultimately I had to find myself again, right? I had given up on what was a dream mm -hmm. in hindsight, a dream for others more than myself, really. Mm -hmm. um, but he was there when I had no clue where I wanted to go and he gave me purpose and he probably doesn't even know the effect that he's had on me, but when I didn't know what to do, I would sit in his office hours for three, four hours of a time once a week, just sit there. Cause I had nowhere else to be. I, it was a lonely experience with a lot of my friends having graduated and moved on mm -hmm. um, and me not really having a purpose at all. And after a while, more and more students would come in and ask him different questions during his office hours. And he would always talk and preach the idea of adding value. That's why you're going to hear me say it a lot. Mm -hmm. That's why I say it in my normal life a lot. Mm -hmm. The best way that I could add value to him was through time, giving him back some time. Yeah. So after hearing enough people ask these questions, I 
realized that I had the answers to them. So when people would walk into his waiting room in his lobby, I would say, hey, what, what's up? What are you here for? And I became a de facto TA somehow in a way, mm-hmm. right? Able to answer some of these questions to get people in and out more efficiently because he's a really cool guy. If you ever get a chance to meet him, you should. Um, really great, really cool background. He's got a twin brother that's really big in the world of basketball. Um, he knows so much. He's actually a sports attorney. It's He's an amazing individual. Mm-hmm. But because of that, a lot of people wanted to see him. And it's hard to fit them even into a three-hour right. uh, office hours timeline. Um, so I just started answering some questions for people, uh, adding value to him, adding value to their lives. And that turned into what he calls walk and talks a lot. So I became the guy that got to walk him back to his car and just talk about everything. Mm-hmm. We would talk about music. We would talk about art. We would talk about finance. We would talk about account- accounting and uh, investments. Mm-hmm. Um, but at that time in my life, when you don't know what you're doing mm-hmm. and you have no direction to go, mm-hmm. it's a really dark place at times. Yeah, it is. And that's why I say that he is one of the most important people that I've ever met in my life. And he probably doesn't even know it right now, but he means way more to me than he will ever know. Yeah. That's really, that's a lovely sentiment. I hope, I hope he gets to hear this. Um, What would you like to be remembered in your life for? And I think you just summed it up. Yeah. um, To, to, to start, I just want to be remembered, right? That's, I think that's the goal, whether it's good or bad. I want to have had an effect on the world. Um, But if I get the luxury to choose, right, this amazing magical ability to choose, I would say that I want to be remembered for inspiring people. You know, um, and I mean that in a way that I don't want to influence them and trick them into doing certain things. I want them to be inspired to be true to themselves, like I ultimately was for myself, right? Going through that big catharsis, that big change. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just, I really want to help people find themselves and be greater than they were yesterday at it. Yeah, that's a good thing. Really good. Best thing that you know how to make that's Jamaican? Um, <laughs> I actually just made uh, sweet plantains today. Oh, yeah. Um, I, I really enjoy making those because they're just quick and easy. Yeah. Um, I can fry a hell of a fish. Um, that's a big thing for us. But I know that that's really big in other cultures. But mm-hmm. I really, really want to learn how to make ox- oxtail for my grandmother next time I go back home. Oh, yeah. So that's the goal. Yeah. Well, that one was a question you didn't see coming. Mm -hmm. All right. So we're going to take a moment to acknowledge our uh, sponsor, Cat5 Studios, and we'll be right back. The Intern Whisperer is brought to you by Cat5 Studios, who help you create games and videos for your training and marketing needs that are out of this world. Visit Cat5 Studios for more information to learn how Cat5 Studios can help your business. Thank you, Cat5 Studios. So we're back to the second half of our show where we're looking at what will 2030 look like. We don't count 2030. We don't count this year. So, you know, it's not that far away, but a lot can happen. COVID happened and it changed Mm -hmm. everything. So people will say, oh, I don't think a whole lot will change. Well, you don't know that. Yeah. You know, stuff happens. So what do you think? It's an opinion question. Mm -hmm. No right or wrong. What do you think it's going to look like? Hmm. I think it's going to look different. I don't think it's going to look as different as everybody in the world thinks mm-hmm. it does. Um, why do I say that? Is I don't know if you remember the movie Back to the Future. Mm-hmm. That came out uh, way back whenever it did. Yeah. Um, and the whole world was like, oh my gosh, we're going to have hoverboards one day and flying cars and these amaz- this amazing technology, which we're getting there, right? We have flying cars. Absolutely. We yeah. do. But it's not exactly what you thought it was back no. then, right? So we are seeing all these amazing things from blockchain to AI that are going to revolutionize the world. But it's not going to look like Skynet. It's not going to look like all of these crazy things. It could. Don't get me wrong. Right? Yeah. That, this is everything but a cautionary tale, right? But I definitely want to temper people's expectations of the fact that AI isn't just going to change the world as you know it like that next mm-hmm. year. Right. Blockchain was the biggest thing last year. And now I'll be honest, working in an industry where blockchain wants to be a part of it. Sometimes I don't even want to listen to people who bring it up. Yeah. So I get it. So when we're talking about what 
2030 could look like? What do you think it's going to look like in sports? Is it going to be any different? Mm -hmm. Because you're in that innovation space, I, I'm pretty sure you hear a lot of spaghetti or see a lot of spaghetti being thrown against the wall, but yeah. I don't know what's sticking. Yeah, we, we've kind of, we have successfully now put together kind of our roadmap and our plan that we want to carry out over the next decade-ish, half a decade to a decade worth of time. Um, wow. So in sports itself, it's going to be very complex, very, very different. Uh, lots of things that I can't really specify on, right? Those no, are, yeah, those, secret stuff. Secret sauce, right? Right. Um, but overall, I think that whether it is sports or not, kind of what employment is going to look like is going to change. Yeah, I think so. Right. Um, and what I mean by that is kind of generationally, as as the workforce gets younger, uh, different expectations and different values are going to be present within those people. Right. I think that we're already seeing it with uh, the Zoom culture and and things like that coming to fruition and what that means for the next generation. Um, for me individually, right, when I started my professional path uh, or when I really got into the nitty gritty mm -hmm. of my professional past or professional path, I should really say, uh, it was the dog days of COVID. Right. We were in the middle of not being able to come into any office, which in basketball was really interesting. Um, yeah, don't you have to? We don't have to, not at all. No, the players. Well, absolutely they do. Yeah. yeah. That's why they had the NBA bubble and all of those different things, but it's hard to fit potentially 300 employees into that bubble, right? Yeah. Um, so for me, it was very much so work from home, figure it out. And and that's how I started my, like the thick of my career. Um, But now it's become this thing where people are coming into this industry and they don't want to come in at all. They want to work at home, right? Just like any other industry. Yeah. And what it's going to change into is the fact that we understand as people what we value so much more now post-COVID, yeah. in my opinion. And the, this next generation of people grew up learning how to understand what they value more and more. Mm -hmm. And if you look at them and you say, hey, you have to come into work, which the magic does not ever do to any of us, which is amazing, right? There's wow. quite obvious times where we have to. Mm -hmm. But we are not forced to come into work if it's not a, a very specific business need, right? Mm -hmm. We have the option to work from home. I think that a lot of places are going to have to stick with that, even though now we are far enough past COVID where you're starting to see people try to push back into that space, right? Mm -hmm. You're seeing a lot more mandates of, okay, it's time to return to office. And the next generation of people doesn't want to hear that. And I don't mm -hmm. mean that because they don't want to come in. It's because people aren't able to give them a good reason why. But don't you think that people should come in because you're extroverted? Mm -hmm. I am. Absolutely. It's like that's we're made for a relationship. And I always mm -hmm. think that by being together, we can learn to be more empathetic, you know, because 100%. we're reading the body language. If we stay away, um, we become, I think, even more socially awkward mm -hmm. and 100%. introverted. It's not I think it's harmful, honestly. I think it's a yeah. it needs to be a hybrid. I definitely agree, right? But whose responsibility is it to to foster that, right? As the employee, right? Part of it lays on you to want to go and build those relationships if you are ambitious and want to go further in your career and mm -hmm. and be something really, really special. Of course, you should try to attain that as much as possible. But you can't force people to want to do that, right? Mm -hmm. You can't force people to want more than they have. You can't force people to have to come in and, and do something that they're not inherently comfortable with. Right. So in my eyes, right, completely opinion based, I think mm -hmm. that it's going to be more on the employers in the future to give these employees a reason to want to come in. Right. Um, I look at the Googles and, and the things and uh, Microsoft and, mm -hmm. and all of those companies, what they did in the past. Right. Mm -hmm. They were competing to find the best programmers and the best coders. So they gave them all of these amazing benefits, right? Free smoothies. We don't have stairs. We have slides or fireman's pole or any cool things, nap pods, whatever it is. That was a reason for people to come in to work for them. But in reality, what I think that that might evolve into is a reason for people to come in, period. Mm -hmm. So I think that more and more companies, instead of paying for massive floors of spaces, right? To have all of your employees there and mandate that they come in. I think that you're going to have to invest in maybe a smaller space that has a lot more bells and whistles that make people want to be there in the first place. Mm. I think that they'll also, well, I, 
I feel like, yes, they have to, they have to really encourage them and they have to be able to uh, position it in such a way that it's helping the people, people to understand there's a mental, mm-hmm. there's a physical, there is an emotional, there yep. is just like, if you look at Maslow's theory, there's all of these reasons Absolutely. as to why, so that people can actually think through the reasons why we should be together instead of always being separate. Um, I don't know if that necessarily means that you have to have all of the enhancements then. Of course. It can be be that crazy. It's just my example, you know? Yeah. And, you know, over there at UCF, when we were there, did you see that there was a room? It was a game room, right? Yep. Yeah. yeah. It and it was really like all fun. locked down. Yeah. We couldn't so get upset. the one room we can't get into our yeah. keys. A whole weekend of people absolutely stressed, yelling at each other, trying to create something. Yeah. And they can't even play. You can't go play foosball. I was so upset. I was too. I went, yeah. what? I'd go and put my key, it would turn green. And then it says, no, you cannot oh. come in. Oh, heartbreaking. Yeah, but those kind of things, I do think that they are valuable because those were team mm-hmm. dynamics and it was gamified and there was Absolutely. a lot of things in there that made it interesting. Hmm. Okay, so robots. I think robots will be used more over there at games because mm-hmm. you may not have people distributing food as much as yeah. robots serving. So that's interesting. I literally just got an email on this today. I have not looked at it. I haven't looked into it at all. Um, but I can, I can see a world where it is utilized more. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually have a background in, in robotics originally in high school. I went to a school where we built first robotics as a competition um, mm-hmm. that here in Central Florida, I actually used to compete in addition uh, finance arena here at UCF. Um, so I understand robotics. I understand like where it's going and the capabilities of it. I don't know if us specifically at the magic will ever be in a position where we want to do that. Mm -hmm. Right. We want to create a legendary experience for people and there's a lot less uh, effect on the personability of that experience. Mm -hmm. When you go to a game, if you're not with somebody that's there to actually wait on you and actually make your night a very special. See, I agree with that. I agree. I think I, there's a McDonald's that's in Florida and it is totally humanless. Mm-hmm. You can go in, get your food. And I go, that's not why I go to McDonald's. Yeah, I go because I want the person to say, hey, have a good day. And mm-hmm. I don't care. It's what, two minutes? But I still want that. Yeah. And I I can say that from like the lens of where I work, mm-hmm. right? Because I know that that's something that they value a lot and and, and is something that is part of kind of their core, core values. Um, but ultimately, like throughout the industry, I think it's going to be a bigger thing. Mm-hmm. I think that we're going to get there. It's just going to be a, a case by case situation on what businesses actually want to take part in in that kind of world. So, what ethical dilemmas do you think will happen? Robotics specifically? Anything? Anything? Pick AI, AR, VR, anything? I, I think privacy is a big mm. one, right? Um, uh, I can see literally in the next couple of years, entire entities, whether it's countries or states, um, going as far as to try to limit and understand better how data is moved, collected, taken advantage of uh, in our world. And it's going to be probably the next big thing. That's that's actually part of the reason why I say I don't know if AI is going to move as fast as a lot of people think it is, right? Mm-hmm. Because AI is kind of just a dog, like a, a greyhound dog. Mm-hmm. It just goes after and analyzes and, and hunts down information that you want it to, right? But it doesn't discriminate from it. So if that data set is dirty, it's going to take some liberties and become biased by dirty mm-hmm. data, right? Mm-hmm. Which is inherently bad and at times can be a breach to some people's privacy in some way, shape, or form, mm-hmm. right? And the simple fact is the size of data sets that we're going to have to analyze with AI, right, to really make it useful, um, there's no way that you can have data that big at, with our current capabilities without tainting it in some way. Hmm. Yeah. Goes back to Black Mirror mm-hmm. terms mm-hmm. and conditions. We were talking about that earlier, yep. but not on the show, but. Yeah. All right. Well, I agree with you on the thing with data because like how many times does somebody's account get hacked? They mm-hmm. keep trying to make it more stringent so that it's harder yeah. to have your account hacked. But I, there's one email that keeps coming through and it 
I put it in spam, mm -hmm. but uh, I'm not sure if it's done damage. And no matter what, no system's ever going to be unbreakable, right? Like there's there's actually a website where you can go online and like type in your name or your account information mm -hmm. some in some way, shape or form. Dark uh, web, are we talking about? I think it's like yougotpond.com or something Ooh. like that. And it literally tells you every data breach that you yourself have actually been um, subject to. Hmm. Yeah, over the past, I think it's like five years, something like that. Hmm. I get um, notifications and I use Google. And so Google sends me, you have you know, 14 breaches that you need to look at. Mm -hmm. Go change these passwords. So I appreciate the fact that they do that. Yeah. The it's somewhat alarming because, you know, because I have those 14 and it says you, your, your mm -hmm. name can be found on the dark web. And I'm like, great. How did that happen? And it's not because I lost my passwords it's mm -hmm. because somebody else that I subscribed to Quora did this mm -hmm. for sure. Um, there was a breach with Quora and then I saw some stuff happening and they said mm -hmm. my accounts were not hacked, but I really think that they had been. So I don't even use Quora anymore because mm -hmm. I can't, I don't feel like I can trust it. I don't think there's anything that you can trust, right? Like, no. I know that there's programs that will automatically randomize all of your things in in, in a password warehouse or data bank of some mm -hmm. sort. Um, but no matter what, your information is going to be out there because you're yeah. human, right? Yeah. Even beyond online, like people can go search through your garbage can and and, and find an old build slip, right? And I mm -hmm. guarantee not everybody in this world is sitting there paranoid enough to be shredding every little document to the point where it can't be reconfigured right so if mm -hmm. anybody wants your information they can get it they can get it like, yeah. the only thing that you could possibly do is live a life that isn't worth stealing oh my gosh i can come in here to this studio and i'm not naming names or anything but i come in here and these the people that use the studio and these are not kids mm -hmm. they will not have logged out of their account and i went god darn i can just see your your bank account. I can see, you know, you have this, you're logged into this social channel. Yeah. And I, I am so paranoid. I sit here and go, I've got to, you know, sign out, make sure that it doesn't sign back in by accident. Make sure that I log out. Can I log back in? Can anybody do this? And I sit here and go, I only know what I know. So could somebody hack it because my name is still on there? Maybe. Probably. I don't know, but I don't want to make it easy for them. Yeah, absolutely. But anybody who wants it bad enough will get there. Yeah. Right? They. Uh, my dad used to say, so I, I grew up mostly in Miami, right? Uh, which is not the safest of cities. My dad used to leave his car unlocked, right? With That's crazy. Because he looked at me and he was like, Zach, the lock's only going to keep the honest man out, right? Mm -hmm. If I lock my car, then they're just going to break my window and realize that there's nothing in there anyway. And now I got to buy a new window. So he just took everything out. Mm-hmm. So what would happen if they'd hotwire and then take it? So actually someone stole my grandmother's car one day, but was it unlocked? Yeah. Uh, hers was. Yeah. Okay. But uh, it was a Honda Accord or Honda Civic. Very one of the most. Steal. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Valuable was, cars. I think it was like a 99 uh, Honda Civic, right? You can literally just shove a screwdriver into the, into the ignition cap and, and turn it and it, will, it would start. Right. But in the reality of things, whether or not it was unlocked, he would have done that. He would have just broken the window and drove away. Yeah. Right. Then we would have had a stolen car and a broken window to fix. Yeah. If you found it too. Yeah. So sometimes you just got to let life happen, right? And there's no way that you're going to stop somebody who wants your information. Oh, that's so true. Or to take advantage of you from, from doing it passively. Mm -hmm. Very true. Very true. I've had my car broken into Rollins College. I'll name it under a street lamp in the evening. Police. Not that far away. Took mm -hmm. a big cinder block right yeah. through the uh, car window. My backpack was gone. Yeah. Yeah. So upsetting. Um, best mentoring advice you want to share with our listeners? Mm. I thought about this long and hard and it blanks on me in the moment. Hard work. Oh, yeah. So one of the best things that my mentor, Scott, um, once told me was that Hard work beats talent. Talent doesn't work hard. Mm -hmm. I like that one too. Yeah. The words that I often live by and sometimes don't live by at all, right? It, mm -hmm. It's important to take a moment and just potato on your couch, right? Yeah, it is. <laughs> but um, overall, it just, it made me realize that no matter what you do, as long as you're mm -hmm. doing something and it's a net positive, it's enough. 
Because mm-hmm. if you're talented enough, as long as you move forward, you'll be okay. I agree with that. Mm-hmm. I sit here and I, I'll work on something and I can get it like five five percent forward. I went, well, it was better than zero. So mm-hmm. it's still going forward. So yeah. yeah, I get it. But there's I think that there's a lot of people that let I, I guess this paralysis analysis get to them or mm-hmm. analysis paralysis, whichever order that phrase is supposed to go in. Um and they'll they'll sit there and they'll do nothing. And then talented people will innately win. Mm-hmm. Right. Um but if you work hard enough and you catch someone sleeping that that might be a little bit better at something than you, but they're not working at it as hard at, that's how you get the job. Mm. How can our listeners contact you? Um, so I'm on LinkedIn. We've right? got that. Just look up my name. Um, I am also available on Instagram, right? Because I'm a young millennial, Z-W-E-B-B-Y. It's just Webby. Um, I try to post a little bit more about kind of the work that I do and the world that I'm a part of now um, and less of my personal stuff on there now. So I'm comfortable with them having that. Cool. Well, I want to thank you so much for being here. It was a lot of fun. I got to know you in a different way. So thank you for having me. Yeah. So I hope our listeners will go and uh, tune into that and they'll be able to hear more about it. Absolutely. Bye guys. Thank you to our sponsor, Cat5 Studios. Thank you to our video production team, Gabe Laporte, Tommy Myers, Andrew Pagat, and Julissa Hurtado. Music is by Sophie Lloyd. Visit Employers for Change at www.e4c.tech to learn how you can create real diversity and inclusive recruiting and culture while skilling your people for the future of work. Thank you for supporting the Intern Whisperer by subscribing to us on Podbean, our Employers for Change YouTube channel, or streaming from your favorite podcast channel.